Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm grateful to be joined by Michelle Kwok and Ravina Anand, both co-founders of Flick, which was recently acquired by Rumor Avenue. They are Next36 alum. Michelle was notably mentioned as a BC business 30 under 30, and they're both doing amazing work. We met via Flick, which is their startup that is a community for phenomenal females. They provide a platform for connection, mentorship, and support for driven women at all stages of their careers and companies. Chiefly, my company uses Flick, and we've derived so much value from working with different interns, and we've got great feedback on what the interns gain from their apprenticeships with us. So I think it's a phenomenal community, and these two women really did bring that to life. Um, Ravina and her background is also, actually, which you'll hear in the episode, but also in medical turned to founder. Um, Ravina aims to advance women's economic participation and help women from remote and underserved communities. She's a social tech entrepreneur and was the co-founder and COO of Flick. She now continues as a business development and operations partner there. So we're incredibly lucky to have these two ladies today to discuss startup life, being a founder, the trials and tribulations, and I hope you gain value from the episode. And if you do, please do like, subscribe, or review the show wherever it is you're listening. It makes a huge difference in our ability to reach a wider audience. And I appreciate you for spending your time here with us today. Yeah, so I mean, for for everyone listening, I think they'll they'll have your bio, but I'd I'd really love to just get your take on what brought you to build Flick and maybe even why you two joined forces to do it together. Yeah, sure. Um, so hi everyone, I'm Michelle. I'm the co-founder of Flick, as well as Ravina, who's also on this podcast, and. It was honestly a very serendipitous thing that happened. Ravina and I both got into this uh, accelerator called Next36. We had both done kind of like medical sciences, bio, biology type of degrees when we were in university and thought that Next36 was a cool opportunity to get into entrepreneurship. Never really had a foray into entrepreneurship until we got into Next36. And we were randomly roomed together. We were actually supposed to be roomed with completely different people. And for the first month of being roomed together at Next36, like, and just for context, Next36 is one of the, you know, top programs for young founders in Canada. They bring together 36 young founders every year to help you up-level in entrepreneurship, learn a bit more about how to build the foundations of a business and scale that business. Uh, Very cool, very cool uh, program that we were part of and super lucky to have been a part of. But for the first month of being roomed together, we were definitely like not really friends and we were trying to kind of (laughs) hang out with different people. But the more that we got talking, we were two of uh, very few women in the program, um, which is kind of just a function of the Canadian landscape of entrepreneurship there aren't that many female founders out there. And we really wanted to find female founder role models to connect with. And so we continued to talk to each other about all these like cool female role models that we were looking up to, that we wished that we could meet. 
And that's kind of how Flick started. It was very organic. We were like, why don't we start a media company so that we can reach out to really cool female founders, interview them and tell them we're, we're a media company that we want to showcase their stories. And we really did want to showcase the stories of, you know, visionary women. A lot of these women's stories aren't online and and a lot of these women haven't really put their brands out there and so we wanted to be able to share their stories with the world and so as flick continued to grow as we continued to interview women we kept on connecting with younger women who were like oh these people are so cool how can we meet people like this and Ravina and I were talking we're like you know female founders at every interview are always saying how they're undercapitalized how they always need help on their businesses how they wish they had a mentor as they were growing up and a lot of the young women who are following us and you know reading all of our articles and watching all of our videos were like they really wanted to meet these people and and it wasn't scalable for us to just connect people to one another so Ravina and I were like, hey, why don't we make a platform so that they can connect with one another? Um, yeah, Ravina, you can you can go ahead with the story. Yeah, and then I guess fast forward, um, Michelle and I, we left Next36, moved back uh, to Vancouver, and we started grinding away, I guess, for the next few months, building out um, a platform that could help connect female founders and young female talent because we found that as we were putting out all this really cool content of the female founders that we were interviewing, that all these incredible um, young women around the world were so intrigued by um, being a female founder and the fact that you could become a female founder regardless of going to business school or coming from a world of business where your family was involved. So we decided to build out that platform and then um, we launched January of 2020 I think is that when the when COVID hit yeah I always forget I feel like we're like time is not even real it was such a blur yeah I know it's like when COVID started we started but then but then that feels like so long ago but also I remember the first day that we did it yeah like it feels like it was like last year but I guess yeah it's been a while so yeah we 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 launched around then and um I think timing worked out in terms of a lot of young women um, were having their summer opportunities rescinded and female founders, of course, we know were deeply impacted by COVID-19 and were pulled in different directions when COVID hit. Um, and so we launched during that time and, um, you know, Michelle had mobilized like an entire team um, to make sure uh, that we were able to connect female founders who are working on COVID-19 solutions with um, female talent and help accelerate and contribute towards figuring out what COVID was, how we could solve the problem. Um, And so we really mobilized a community that we'd already built over the past year, of course, with the video interviews that we started in the summer at X36. Um, And then, yeah, I guess fast forward from there, um, we are post acquisition now. um, And we had went through a lot of different things throughout our journey. And it was super exciting. Loved the team, loved the community that we built. Um, and now hopefully with this collaboration, um, we're able to accelerate our mission, which has always been to accelerate founders around the world and help women um, have financial freedom. Yeah, nice. A noble, a noble cause and definitely have to acknowledge you both and especially I think around the COVID situation. I mean, I started chiefly at the same time. And so any founder, woman or otherwise, that has taken a leap during really a global crisis, I think it's just so 
courageous and also innovative and really you both have, have demonstrated that so I really appreciate that you've gone through and as you've said female founders do really struggle I'd love to hear even just a couple of things that you found in your first two years that have been challenging and how you handled them whether it's fundraising and I do want to touch upon the acquisition but first I'd love to hear just kind of how you even navigated companies not offering internships and or any challenges with female founders or interns or what were some of the big hot ticket items that were really challenging throughout your evolution yeah for sure I I think there's a lot of different aspects to it like there's obviously the societal aspect to it and and then actually in practice like how do you find female founders out there to connect with um there's several stories like the first time that we started tried to start our small business account uh, at one of the big banks in Canada what the person who was helping us the business advisor who was helping us start that account was like oh this is never going to work and let me tell you why and spent literally like 45 minutes to an hour without opening our account for us telling us why it wasn't this idea of like wasn't going to work and how we should be doing this for men because there's so many more like male entrepreneurs out there and so I think that first that very first encounter that was like a major milestone of where we were bringing flick really showed why we needed to build it in the first place and and those things happened all the time and even when Ravina and I announced that we were going to be launching flick so many people came up to us and they were like oh like good for you like I you know, I just thought you two were like social butterflies, um, but like really good for you for for starting this company in, in this kind of like condescending way that I, I don't know if they knew that they were speaking to us this way. But if you think about it, we were just as a social butterfly, quote unquote, like we, we were honestly just networking with people. And if this were on the flip and this was this were someone else, they would be like, oh, you're a really good networker. You have such a big network and you're able to connect with so many people. But because it was me and Ravina and we looked the way we did, people just call us social butterflies instead and didn't attribute that to being a successful business person. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of like little things along the way that we encountered um, that as we encountered them, I don't know about you, Ravina, it definitely hit me. And I was like, should I be doing this? Am I qualified to be a founder? Should I be even in entrepreneurship? Do I belong here? And Ravina knows like on my birthday and I'm 36, I, that's when I had the biggest mental breakdown. Like I honestly cried the entire day because I was like, I don't belong here. Everyone treats me like I'm just lucky to be here and lucky to be on this train. Um, and maybe I am. And and it was it was difficult to get out of that mindset. Uh, and Ravina was a big part of getting me out of that mindset. She like spent the whole day with me and being like, "No, we can do this." And and that's why it's so important to be able to find other female founders, female role models, female peers, people who have gone through it who are going through it with you, who can tell you how to get over these barriers that seem invisible when you first start out. Yeah. And then I think um, sort of on the flip side of those encounters that we were having with um, people that 
you know, didn't necessarily believe in us at the time. And I think that happens with every entrepreneur. If you were like, oh, what are you working on? And constantly doubting them, especially those that are often closest to you. Um, I think there's a fact with entrepreneurship and the journey that we had, especially was we didn't come from business backgrounds whatsoever. We were just like little science nerds who also loved to photography and videography and the whole marketing stuff, um, which we did in our spare time. So we didn't have any um, like traditional training in that, I guess you could say. Um, but one thing was as we were building Flick, every day something was coming up. There wasn't a day where there wasn't anything going on. Um, and I'm sure, you know, as a founder as well, like there's always just something coming up and you can see it as a challenge or you can see it as, okay, minor roadblock, what are we going to do? How are we going to be proactive? And that's where you have to be very quick on your feet um, in terms of solving a problem or coming up with a solution or in your product, you have a bug that needs to be fixed urgently. Otherwise, everything's going to collapse and break down. Um, and so when you are a founder, especially in those early days, you're wearing every single hat like you are HR, finance, accounting. Um, you're also the one like fundraising if you are um, or running product, running your team. So you are every single hat. And Michelle and I weren't trained in, or trained in any of that. But I think what helped set us up was that during our undergrad and even during high school, junior high, we were really involved with sports or we were always part of a team. And so we had that feeling of being part of a team ownership, leadership, um, and most importantly, which Michelle knows how we say is like leading with humility. So from everything we've done since we were young up until now, there was always a matter of fact of you are working in a team, everyone's going to have different opinions. Um, and we have to respect that. And we have to come to a way of decision making where we do acknowledge everyone's viewpoints and perspectives. Um, and you're able to make the best possible decision. Just in entrepreneurship, it's definitely accelerated, right? Because you probably only have a few hours or a few minutes to make that decision. So it's how you work together, how efficient you are. Um, and that I think also plays to the ideas of kindness and respect. And um, I think Michelle and I were lucky to see that throughout our entrepreneurial journey is as we started to build and grow and form these really meaningful connections is we had some great mentors that were around us later down the line that were able to help us navigate certain situations, or we had other friends who were founders, and that was really special to us. Um, we had the opportunity to join different accelerators um, or different entrepreneurial programs that were aimed at focusing on young people, and I think that was something that really helped us get through certain hurdles or get through that mindset of you don't belong here. Um, and I think in the end, something that drove both Michelle and I was that we were working towards something bigger than ourselves. So this mission wasn't gonna just dissipate. We knew that we needed to sacrifice certain parts of our well-being to a certain extent to overcome and contribute towards that mission. Um, and I think down the line, we eventually learned though that you can't just sacrifice your well-being, right? And I think in entrepreneurship, that's usually the first thing to go, of course. Um, but we were able to come up with strategies and tactics and work together to eventually get on a path where there's not necessarily balance, but you find ways in which you can incorporate well-being into your day. So I think that was um, something we also learned as we went through our journey of building Flick. Yeah, lots, lots there. So definitely feeling like an outsider and the way to combat that is by becoming an insider of a group. And so that's via an accelerator or a community of some sort. And Flick is a great community. So 
there's an option for anyone listening to join Flake, I, I suppose. But if finding founders and people in a similar position so that you don't feel alone is definitely a theme that I heard from both of you. And then being mission-based, so really understanding that it's larger than you in the moments where it feels like a certain problem is going to implode the whole company. It's like, hey, there's there's more to it than this one problem and we can overcome it with the right support and mindset. And then wellness, which yes, I mean, burnout across the board, I think is just something that people struggle with. I certainly went through it myself with, with Chiefly and you said you've integrated some things. I am curious what those things are because I think most people in entrepreneurship are super all or nothing and very dedicated to their mission. Um, so finding balance, I mean, balance even seems almost laughable at times when you're really pushing to get something out or fix something. So what are some of the kind of quick tips or small one degree shifts that you've made that have made all the difference in staying a bit more level-headed or a bit more emotionally, uh, I want to say stable, frankly, it just there's so many ups and downs emotionally with, with a startup. So what are yeah, some of those totally. one degree shifts? Uh, I, I think Ravina and I, we also went through a lot of burnout. Um, and, and so we had a serious talk about it. Uh, I think me, especially, we really, really wanted to look at it, not even as like work-life balance, but work-life integration, because we're the type of people who are like obsessed with our work. We were really obsessed with building when, when something resonates with us and we, we love the mission. And so it, it, it never stops. Like the thinking never stops. But sometimes you can't continuously be like on meetings, 15 meetings a day and, and never stopping, like talking to other people and doing things. Uh, and, and so I think what really, really helps me was standardizing my schedule. Like I would wake up at like six and then work out for an hour every single day, no matter what. And I would eat lunch at 12 or like 1230 every single day, no matter what eat dinner at 6.30 every day, no matter what. And, and so work and my life was like integrated in this way that really, really worked for me. And Ravina did this really great thing. She was like, Michelle, you have to take two weeks off and not be on your computer at all. And she like, what she would like shame me <laughs> if I was messaging back in the Slack. And that was like the best two weeks of my entire life. Probably I spent seven days outside running and reading a book a day and like seven days reflecting on my life and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to move forward um, and how I was more going to integrate my work and life in a way that made sense to me. So I think we, we really had open conversations about it. And we were very, very open with each other as co-founders about it, which I think it helped us incredibly. Yeah, I, you know what, I think a couple things there to highlight for sure, which are some sort of routine. And it, you know, there's a whole movement of this miracle morning, like wake up at 4am or 6am. And I mean, if you're not a super early morning person, like me, where it's like, you want to get up at eight or whatever it is that your schedule is, it's just finding routine of some sort. So I think some people get dissuaded by, oh my God, I don't want to wake up at six. So now am I like out of the running or I'm not going to be an efficient business person and it's like I think as long as you have systems and routines to your point where at least you're following it and you have structure within your day I think that's the key there that you mentioned and then uh, also just 
mirroring this idea of time away being actually very productive and fruitful for your business. So seeing it as an essential that can bring you forward actually to new strategies or new ways of dealing with problems or new insights, right? Those books you read probably gave you some new insight that you've integrated in some way, uh, whether it's with Flick or just how you are as a, as a business person or co-founder, you know, it gave you some sort of insight. So I think that's really huge. And I'd, I'd love to sort of shift gears into monetization because I think all founders, but often female founders, there's a real struggle to kind of charge for what they're doing, especially if it's a software product, like a lot of it's this elusive, you know, okay, freemium, how do I charge for this? What, what do I charge? So how did you tackle that? Because I know, you know, you had a bit of a, you had a testing phase and then you started charging. And so what was the process there to pick a price or even to pick the subscription model? How did you go about monetizing your idea? Yeah, I think something about Michelle and I both, when we entered Next 36 Entrepreneurship Program, the people around us were interested in creating a billion dollar company. But to be quite frank, Michelle and I had no interest in that whatsoever. Um, We were definitely the people who were like, oh, we can just build a social enterprise and it's fine, like as long as it's helping people. But I think something that was instilled in us during our time at Next 36 was this idea of you can build products that people love and are mission-driven and have a financial model that reinvests back into the company and is mission-driven. And so that was something that we took away in regards to redefining what entrepreneurship looked like and moving more towards social entrepreneurship. And so we were in beta for quite a while um, and we didn't charge for a very long time. Um, So during that time, as I mentioned before, we were growing a community and we became very close to our community. We had a really strong relationship with our founders, with the mentees. um, And so Michelle and I were getting on calls with everyone. So all the way from like university high school students to um, high level mentors to female founders who are just starting their company or had been around for a while and who had raised a couple rounds. Um, And so I think that relationship building lent a way where while we were having these conversations with them, we were getting organic feedback. And this feedback included individuals saying, I would pay X amount to use this platform and access these resources. Um, And so that's where me and Michelle were like, okay, this is interesting. Like, let's see how this plays out. And so over the few months, of course, we were able to speak to so many, like thousands of people, and they were able to tell us sort of, you know, what they were looking for in a product and where they would be willing to pay. And yeah, I think to be quite frank, we we had come up with different ways in which we could monetize access to the platform. But in the end, it was the community that told us what they wanted. Um, and so Michelle and I worked out a, a plan that um, was eventually just around what they had told us. So sometimes I feel like I'm not the best at answering this question. And Michelle and I lucked out in a way where we were so lucky that our community was so engaged with us that they gave us all the answers we needed. And I think that's something really special, whether it is feedback for your financial model or just for your product, because we would get emails where people would send us lists or one pagers of everything they'd want in the next product update. And that is something very special to have and a very special connection to have with your customers in terms of 
you're not even asking for the feedback and they're continuously saying, you know, they love what's there already, but here's ways in which the product can improve. And that was always met with kindness. Like everyone was knew that we were building from scratch, that we were still in beta, but they really felt that strong connection with us. And I think I'm just really grateful we were able to make a community like that um, where they were able to, you know, give us feedback without worrying about giving us feedback or um, they knew where we were at and we knew where they were at. So I think that communication to have with your customers and community is really important. Yeah, huge. And and one thing I noticed for sure is you saying, you know, we were lucky and it's, it's a very interesting thing. I notice often it's, it's women that will say, I'm lucky or there's something bigger than than me and it's I just want to acknowledge you both for the fact that it is because of humble leadership and thoughtfulness and opening lines of communication with people and your your efforts which I, you know you know what you do every day but I've, I've also witnessed it and I just want to sort of mirror that to you and acknowledge you for that because I think people are willing to share those things with you because they know they'll be respected and heard and that's a testament to your leadership and your your values as individuals and what you've instilled in the company. So it's, I think there's always a bit of luck or grace or some kind of magic that happens when things go well, but it's, you certainly have to set the stage for it. And you two definitely did and welcomed everyone on the platform, including myself with open arms. And that's, I think what gets you people that say, hey, we love this and here, how can we help you? How can we share about this? What can we do? And produces those raving fans and loyal customers. So definitely a testament to your leadership and, and values. And so in a more kind of granular way, did you, in terms of pricing, so you had people literally telling you, okay, charge this amount, or how did you, how did you model and look at, okay, will this be profitable? How do you pay yourselves? Like, I mean, if we're going into territory, that's not okay, let me know. But I, I think so many founders, especially if you've got a mortgage and bills or kids or responsibilities it's sort of like okay I'm going to work on this thing for two years and not get paid like what how did you navigate the fact that a startup is yeah. like people are like oh a startup and it's going to be a billion dollar company and I'm going to be this you know millionaire or whatever it's like yeah but there's maybe maybe not but there's a huge amount of time where you're really just putting your heart and soul in without <laughs> without yeah, any compensation I mean- yeah, I, I think for both of us, we were really lucky that we we started when we were young. We were living at home and didn't have a ton of responsibility. And our biggest thing with Flick, it wasn't to make as much profit as possible. It was how can we make sure that this platform is sustainable? How can we have a revenue model that makes sense so that we can continue building out this platform in a in a way that we can continue growing. Um, so it's like enough money for us to continue growing enough money. If we start paying ourselves and, and growing a team, but it wasn't like we, we wanted to get as much profit as possible. To be honest with you, we were really, really lucky again, that we were connected with a team from UBC, who was a group of like MBA uh, almost grads that had to do this project, which was a pricing strategy project, and they did our pricing strategy for us. Um, so unfortunately, we don't know all the granular bits and pieces. They they gave us they basically consulted with us and gave us a few proposals, and we talked through them. And this is the one that aligned with our values the most. Yeah. Hey, I mean, it's a huge deal though, utilizing 
community and people that know people are experts in something that you're maybe not I think that's under overlooked somehow where like you said we earlier we wear many hats and so we feel like we have to have answers for all those hats that we're wearing when really it's like there's so many resources that are more more experienced that we can tap into that'll make the process a lot easier I think a lot of early founders resist or don't know how to ask or it's just there's so much on our plates that we don't put things out to people that might really be able to make it a lot easier and shed light on topics that we're not we're not as well versed in so I love that reaching out to students especially um, and so I'd love to also get into a little bit about the acquisition I mean how was it planned how did that come about how did you pick a partner I think the fundraising or acquisition growth strategy for founders can also feel very elusive and sort of like okay we have this product maybe we have a handful of customers that we're sort of serving but how do we 10x our results or where do we go from here it can be a daunting place so I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. yeah totally uh I think like you said, we really leveraged our network and our community as we were growing Flick. And we were always networking and connecting with other people, seeing how we could help them. And so two, about two years in, we actually got an acquisition offer and it, it came through on our side. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. We'd never thought about this before. We had actually never thought about an acquisition until we got that offer at that point. And that's when we started going to mentors and being like, what does this mean? How could this help us? How could this help our community? And we started thinking through it's either acquisition or we raise money and we continue to build this raising money with the resources that we currently have for the next like five to seven years or a potential acquisition. A big bottleneck that we had was, you know, the product. We really needed product development at the time and we had so many plans. Um, and so for us, it was like, maybe there is an acquisition that makes sense where we can collab on the product side of it and we can accelerate that product roadmap to serve our community better. And at the end of the day, we were like, an acquisition might make sense. Let's see how this works. And we can't give you like the, the granular details of, of our acquisition just because of the NDA and whatnot, but we can kind of walk you through our thought process during the time. And so, yeah, we got that first acquisition offer and we were like, oh, this is really cool. Let's talk to these people. But when you're going through an acquisition, you don't want to be only talking to one. Um, so we started reaching out and telling our mentors and our network that we were potentially thinking about acquisition so that we could accelerate our product development and support our community better. And so we started putting those feelers out and meeting with a bunch of other companies. Like we met with probably like 10, 15. Uh, and, and we, we actually, <laughs> funnily enough, um, one of our mentors was interested in in acquiring us and and thought that what we were building was really interesting and so we started talking to them as well as the other company and we were trying to figure out what made the most sense and for us our mentor already knew our mission already knew our vision had been talking to us for about a year or so at that point about everything that we were building with flick really understood what we were building why we were building it who we were building it for and understood the product vision and the roadmap, which was 
exactly what we were kind of looking for. And it ended up being a really good fit there. And after uh, Ravina and I thought about it for a while, we took a lot of time to think about it and the acquisition took a lot of time to, to go through. Uh, we, we decided to, to go down that route. Yeah. And I think bridging off of that, if someone out there is building a company and they're thinking about um, going the acquisition route, once again, Michelle and I hadn't really thought about it until we were approached, but I think it was important to reflect that, you know, when you do move into something like fundraising, a lot of things come along with fundraising. So when you take that step towards taking investor money, there's a lot of um, attachments that go along with that. And you do have to take a step back and think to yourself, like, am I willing to go on this journey full force where I am attached to certain investors um, and I have to be able to keep up with this? What's my mental health like at the time? Um, And then I think on the other hand, you need to think deeply, like, where is this money going to get me? How is it going to help? How is it going to accelerate the product? Um, And from there, that's a really good framework in terms of reflection. And then I think a step up from there is reflecting and thinking, um, is this going to be allow us to get to where we want to be as founders? Um, is it going to help us get the team where it has to be and the product? And I think Michelle and I, for us, it was more so the product that we were focused on at this point. And we had worked on so many different partnerships throughout building Flick. Um, Michelle was great at at building relationships and we were great at collaborating with other companies. Um, and I think something that was exciting to us then of course was, yeah, let's collaborate with another company um, to work on the product, to accelerate it. And they also believe in the mission as much as we did. And that was something that was really interesting to us um, and would help get the product where it had to be on the timeline that we thought of. Um, versus fundraising is a very long road. So you think you're going to get X amount within this time, but things change, things happen, and you have to be very adaptable to that. And we were comfortable doing that. We were planning on moving towards a fundraise, but then thinking back to those questions that I mentioned before, we did want to get the product to a certain place by a certain timeline. And by chance, it worked out the person that we were working with, once again, mission aligned. And so we were willing to take that step with them. And I think it goes back to humility. Michelle and I had the humility to say, you know, we don't need to raise X and Y funds to get where we want to go. We have an opportunity in front of us, front of us right now that can really help get us to where we want to in terms of getting to our mission. Um, and so that type of pace and depending on where you're at with life, it's important to think about those things. And once again, um, not that I attribute everything to luck, but it worked out in terms of timing. You know, we were going to move towards a fundraise and then these opportunities came. And um, I think sometimes when an opportunity comes in front of you, it's there for a reason as well. And we thought about it in a thoughtful manner and we ended up going in that direction. Yeah. And so I, I think really quickly, I'd love to just hear what changes after acquisition. So you're still both involved with Flick. So what, what have you felt in terms of yeah, after, no, it, what changes? It's been great. Um, we, we've been able, they've built out our team a lot more. Our, our product development is going way faster and we just have a lot more resources at hand. And so, yeah, Ravina and I are both still involved and we still are working on the mission and vision every day. And um, yeah, we're just very lucky to be working with a great team. 
Yeah, nice. Truly, I, I think it's, again, looking at what you'd like to happen, but then being very open to things that come your way, I think is a testament to your adaptability and resourcefulness and then sticking to your values, which is big, right? Saying, yeah, we had 10, 15 companies that we were looking at. And in the end, we picked someone that knew us and knew the mission and was aligned with it, I think is so powerful because whether it's fundraising or acquisition, money comes with strings or these agreements and partnerships are so impactful and change the way your company looks and operates. And so to stay aligned with your mission, even when maybe another offer was more appealing financially, or, you know, might've been a bigger company or whatever, right? Every deal has a different quality. So to stay in alignment with your values, I think is again, a just a nod to how purpose-driven and value-driven you both are. And I admire that. I admire that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having us on, on your podcast. And we really appreciated the conversation here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate you both. I love being in the Flick community. You've been a huge help to, to our team and growing what we're up to it chiefly. So, I mean, I appreciate you for this call, but also just what you've done to help us grow and also shine a light on what we're up to in the community. It's, it's been a huge help. So amazing. Right back at you. Thank you for all that you do. Love to hear it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having us. See you.